We'll start by reading the first we'll start by reading the first verse together. That's up on the screen there. And that's the verse that you'll respond with throughout the reading. Let's engage with God's word. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man, and they are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their calloused hearts comes iniquity. The evil concites of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? How does the Most High have knowledge? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. But when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Excellent. Ooh, that's loud. It's always such a it's always such a privilege to bring the word of God and uh, certainly this morning I take delight in it and I appreciate having that uh, passage read for us. Um, 
This almost feels like a deja vu this morning. I seems like I've been here before, um, where when I come up to preach, it becomes an exclamation point on what has already been uh, said and sung. And uh, I really enjoyed the um, the song that uh, was uh, during the the um, time of confession speaking almost in response to this text with regard to asking God for that pure heart and clean hands. And so we will continue along that, uh, that thought. Let us pray. Father, lead us this morning through this time as we examine your word and uh, Lord, use it in our, in our lives in a very transforming way that only you can accomplish to transform our hearts, to bring us nearer and nearer to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is the powerful testimony, actually, of Asaph, the, uh, the writer of this psalm. And uh, this first verse is really his anchor that holds him fast. It's the hope and the assurance that keeps his foothold when he nearly slips. I also suspect that uh, this psalm is what Jesus had in mind when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, what? They shall see God. They shall see God. See, what better assurance do we have in this life than that God's constant presence is always there and that we can count on? God's eternal presence that we hope in. We see over and over again throughout Scripture seems to be the most powerful statement that He ever makes to us, the, the greatest comfort, the greatest assurance, the greatest help is how He over and over again assures us of His presence, that He always is with us, that He is with us, that He will be with us, and that He will never leave us or forsake us. That's where this psalm takes us ultimately. But to get there, the testimony of the psalmist takes us on a journey into the, darkest, into the darkness of envy and the damage that it brings, what finally grabs his attention, and then what gives the clarity that turns him and us all around and ultimately to gain the complete contentment that we ought to have in God alone, that He enough satisfies us. is a psalm really of transforming grace. So where the problem of envy often starts, I believe, is when we take our eyes off of Christ and we start comparing 
ourselves. And it doesn't matter what the comparison is. In this case, it's not just the wealthy, but it's the evil wealthy, the arrogant, the, the proud, and that kind of thing. And I think those kinds of issues we could easily use as an excuse. We can easily use the idea of the injustice of that. Here we, you know, you know we, look, we considered, you know, the condition of the righteous com- as compared to the, you know, the condition of, of the ungodly. But, you know, there are other, other psalms that address that. And he already tells us at the very beginning what the real issue is because that really is kind of secondary to what the real issue is. The real issue, you see, is the condition of his own heart in response to that as he looks at those things. And the condition of his heart is that he admits that my foot almost slipped. And the reason it almost slipped is because I envied the arrogant. And it went down a path that was a very dangerous path to go to because it led him into a very dark place. And we take a look at that, as I mentioned before. So most of us here, I would say, are pretty well off, relatively speaking. We have a roof over our head. We have at least one car in most cases, sometimes two. Sometimes, oh, I have a car. Maybe we have two cars. Maybe we have a car and a truck and an SUV or a van or whatever. Sometimes, well, some of us have bikes, maybe more than one bike. Most of us have Internet connection. Oh, maybe even TV, maybe more than one TV. How many people don't have a cell phone? (laughs) You know, and the list could go on and on and on. We're pretty well off. And yet, you know, we always, often we're tempted by, oh boy, the advertising. I used to work in advertising, and you know, it's an area where, you know, it's pretty clever how it somehow convinces you that you need this upgrade. You need this latest and greatest and this better, you know, more and more and more. And it sows the seeds of discontentment. And then we rush to violating the Tenth Commandment because of the discontentment. And we compare ourselves to those that have that more and more and bigger and better. The person up the street or next door or a co-worker or another business uh, owner, whatever. We compare ourselves to the rich and famous. You know, we watch the movies, we see TV, and we, and that's all out there in front of us. And we hear these stories of the royals and the you know, and, and the people in Hollywood and all these things. And it's so easy to look at them and we know that there's so many ungodly people there that are so prosperous and we wonder why. And we slip into that envy because we unconsciously, even unconsciously, perhaps compare ourselves to them. Or we could go the other way and compare ourselves, you know, to the poor soul on the street. We could be like, you know, the Pharisee looking 
next to you know, the tax collector. So, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not. So, and so then we go down that path of the ones that we envy. And we compare ourselves the other way. And then we gloat and we puff up in our pride. And so it's some kind of self-righteous pride. It is not a true righteousness. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that those that have so much, those, those arrogant ones, those proud ones, those ones who are carefree and, and, they, and they seem to gain their wealth uh, at the expense of others, and somehow we deceive ourselves into thinking that they have it so good while we struggle and we suffer and we wonder why life is so unfair, not realizing that they themselves are never satisfied, even in their pride. It's always, they always crave more. And so it becomes an addiction to crave more and more and more. But the more that we get caught up in that kind of comparison and that kind of envy, the more our hearts sink into that very dangerous place where Asaph went into doubt. And a very dangerous doubt. He even went so far as to say, In vain have I kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. He questioned the very thing, he questioned the very thing that held him fast. When he said at the beginning that he, that he almost lost his foothold, it's as though this envy that, he nearly, that it nearly broke him loose from the very anchor of his soul. Wow. Dangerous place to go. You know, the first commandment, I think in the 10th commandment, when we go and we look at the 10 commandments, I think it, I think and almost he had this in mind here. And they really teach us a lot. Because when we look at that first one and that 10th one, those are commandments that address the condition of the heart. Where your heart is in relationship to God, your Redeemer, your Deliverer. And the 10th one is your heart with regard to your contentment. And does he really satisfy you enough that you would not covet? If we break either one of those, we break the other. And if we break them both, everything else tumbles with it. And it becomes so easy then, you see, to bear false witness against your neighbor. And in my mind, in some ways, that's worse than even murder. Because you ruin a name, that name is never recovered generation after generation after generation. Even if the name is vindicated, there's still this cloud that hangs over. All people think of is the accusation. They don't think of the innocence. And you can go on and on with any of the other commandments. Those are outward expressions of, you see, forgetting that God, my God, is my only God and I should have no other. And out of that, you see, that 10th commandment 
is a response to that. Is he really enough? He ought to be. And also quickly we forget that Jesus assured us also that he said, remember he said in John's, excuse me, in Matthew's, Matthew 6, that our heavenly Father knows the things that we need. He knows the things that we need. And we can trust Him. So we don't need to look outside of God Himself. And Paul reminds us, when he wrote to the Philippians, he says, God will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. And yet we so quickly forget when our eyes turn from Him to those things that cannot possibly satisfy as He does. But here's what brings us back. The psalmist says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. See, having our brothers and sisters in Christ in mind and wondering, how could I complain out loud about such things so as to cause them to stumble with me into this darkness? And that becomes the wake-up call. That becomes the wake-up call as we are aware of what that will do. It's, this isn't about me, you see. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about God's whole family of, of believers who trust in Him. And how can I bring them down into this darkness with me? That becomes a wake-up call. And then what follows with that, you see, is that we enter the sanctuary of God that calls us into His sanctuary, into our hiding place, into our refuge, into the place where we hear the Word of God proclaimed, we hear His voice, where we come into His presence, we see His face turned toward us. The place where we find rest. How can we ever leave such a place? And why would we look elsewhere when God is the one who satisfies us most? This is where we gain the right perspective in the sanctuary of God, where our hearts come back to their anchor. This is the greatest turning point in the presence of God in His hiding place, in His refuge, for God is our rock and our Redeemer. From the vantage point of God's presence, we realize that chasing after all that stuff, just like those that we envy, and to envy them is like, it becomes like a dream that is gone as soon as you awake. And that God despises them as nothing more than fantasies. Why would I envy that? <laughs> Just whew, gone. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. When I have an eternal inheritance, when I have God Himself 
When we repent as he did, when we repent and we turn back, when we admit like Asaph how stupid we were as this beast, we remember that God still has never left us. All along, he kept his promise to be there, as he says so many times. To be here still, holding our hand through it all. Just like the good shepherd that we find in Psalm 23. He walks us through all these things. He never left. He never lets go. Now, what do we do with that? How can we not respond to a God like that and hang on, hang on for dear life to the lover of our souls so as to be satisfied with that? How can we not say that God is enough for me? In the end, you see, the psalmist takes us full circle to God's goodness. Back to that first good, that God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely God is good. But that goodness is discovered, you see, in His presence when we realize that He is always there and never leaves us. He always sees us. He is the God who sees one of his names. And he knows what we need. Like the father from last week, like the father in the story of the prodigal, in, that, in the parable of the prodigal, the thing that he said to that son who envied the other son, my son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But what is much better, what is much better than the benefits that we receive by having God as our Father is really just having Him, just having God Himself. That's better than anything that He gives, His giving of Himself. Contentment in God, contentment in God Himself is enough. Jesus died to bring us to God. I mean, we'll be looking at that in, as, we, as we get back to 1 Peter. In chapter 3, he says that, that Christ died once for all. Once for all. The just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. Jesus is in his prayer for us in John 17, and he's speaking to the Father, and he says, and this is eternal life. This is what eternal life is all about, that they may know you, the only true God, in 
Jesus Christ whom you sent. See, that's, the, that's what is at the heart of where we need to understand that this is what God made us for. He made us in his image to know him and to live forever in his presence. You know, when Adam and Eve first sinned and they went and hid themselves, what did God do? He's the one that took the initiative. He was the one who was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and reached out and he spoke and he said, where are you? Where are you? And whenever we go the way that the psalmist talks about, and we doubt, and we go into that dark place, and we wander, that's where God is. He's always asking, where are you? When you skip that devotional time because you're in a rush, and he's sitting there in that room where you usually do that. He's, I missed you today. Didn't we have an appointment? He takes the initiative to bring us back by his spirit. When our good is God's nearness. We can't keep silent about it, just like Asaph. He couldn't keep silent. This is the way he concluded it. That's what we want others to know about. Most of all, more than anything else, I cannot keep silent about how good it is to be in God's presence. That's what we were made for. Is this, let me ask, is this, like the psalmist, the desire of your heart? Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good. It is so good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all your deeds. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, make that our heart's desire to always be a conscious of your presence to live in your presence and never, never turn away. But always look to see that your face is turned toward us and that we rest in you and know that you satisfy more than 
anything can. Oh, Lord, you are enough for us. Grab a hold of our hearts with that truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join.